This episode of the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast is dedicated to the memory of Matt Capitelli, co-winner of Tough Enough Season 3, who unfortunately passed away this past June 29th. Episode number 10 of the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm your host, and we're doing this from London, Ontario, Canada. On this week's episode, we look back at the event that happened in Kitchener, Ontario for Smash Wrestling. We get a live report from a new listener, Billy Anderson. Plus, then we put the spotlight on Scotty O'Shea. We'll look forward to some of the Next action from Smash Wrestling with CZW coming to Ontario. From there, we'll go to WWE News, where there was a lot of activity this past week, and then we'll look back on some of the top moments that happened in history in the month of June. June was loaded with a lot of uh, interesting historic moments and we'll uh, look at those and see how they impacted the wrestling world from there I'll be right back in just a moment Hey it's Jody Thread and you're listening to Scumbags Podcast This past Sunday Smash Wrestling presented A Taste of Smash in Kitchener, Ontario it was presented at the tannery and had an amazing card. And unfortunately, we were not able to make it to the show, but we did reach out to an attendee who did uh, take in their first ever Smash Wrestling show, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. Billy Anderson uh, submitted this following report. Hi, I'm Billy Anderson, and I'm going to give you the result of a taste of Smash from the Tannery in Kitchener, Ontario. For the BEW Championship, Casey Spinelli retains her title by beating Alexandra Bale. Tarek versus Banks versus Duke was a good triple threat match as Tarek won the match. Mark Wheeler defeated Daniel Garcia. Puff defeated The Muscle. John Greed defeated Anthony James Kingdom 
And in the main event, to top off the evening, it was the well-oiled machines and Kevin Blackwood defeating Scotty O'Shea, Aiden Prince, and Kobe Durst. I can't wait to go back to Smash Wrestling again. I loved it, and I give the show a 10 because it was an amazing show. I'm glad I went to the show on June 24th. Thanks, Billy, for sending in that uh, report for the Taste of Smash event this past Sunday in Kitchener, Ontario. Jay Smith also sent me some results with a little bit more detail where he mentioned that the event with the four pillars, that being Tarek, Tyson Dukes, Brent Banks, and Sebastian Suave, was supposed to be a four-way match but turned into a triple threat with Suave claiming that he had an injury to his knee and could not participate. After Tarek won the match, he was promptly attacked by Sebastian Suave, who obviously was faking an injury. This was an amazing uh, first kick at the can at uh, Kitchener. They had quite the card, as you heard, and I only wish I'd been able to go myself. But there's still more... uh, Smash Wrestling action to come up in the month of July, including Smash meeting up with CCW. On July 13th, Smash Wrestling and Combat Zone Wrestling kick off their Ontario tour in Sarnia, Ontario, with tickets starting at $20 for general admission. They'll be taping this for Smash On Demand. You can buy your tickets in Sarnia at the Cheeky Monkey or uh, Philly Cheese Jakes. Scheduled to appear on this card is Matt Cross taking on Kevin Bennett. Tyson Dukes versus Trey Miguel. Daniel Garcia and Kevin Blackwood facing The Rep. Brent Banks, Marion Reed, and Tarek face off in triple threat action. Plus Sebastian Suave versus DJ Hyde and Puff versus Brandon Kirk. All this is July 13th at River City Vineyard, 6 p.m. Get your tickets also at smash-wrestling.com. The very next night, on July 14th, Smash comes to the London Music Hall with bell time at 5 p.m. As they continue their tour with CZW. On this card, you'll see Cody Geener versus MJF. Matt Cross versus Marion Reed. Sebastian Suave takes on Trey Miguel. Brent Banks and Tarek team up to take on The Rep. And Mike Rollins faces Brandon Kirk. You'll also see Kevin Blackwood facing DJ Hyde. And then CCW and Smash Wrestling wrap up their tour together in Toronto on July 15th at the Phoenix with bell time at 5pm. On that card you will see the Defiant internet championship defended by Walter against Matt Cross TDT versus the rep Scotty O'Shea takes on Brandon Kirk Sebastian Suave faces Marion Reed Kevin Blackwood versus MJF John Greed faces DJ Hyde plus there will be a fatal four way including Scotty O'Shea Mike Rollins, Brandon Kirk, and Trey Miguel. Both the London and Toronto shows will be filmed for 
the Fight Network. To get more information on these three amazing shows coming up in Ontario, you can go to smash-wrestling.com. Or you can check them out on Facebook with more details as they come out each day. While you're there, you can vote on the new Smash Wrestling t-shirt that will debut at these three shows. The brand new Stand Your Ground Smash Wrestling t-shirt will be available at these three events. However, it's your turn to choose which color it will be. Will it be blue, yellow, or red? Go to their Facebook page and vote today. You can get your weekly dose of Smash Wrestling action every Thursday night on the Fight Network at 10 p.m. Then switch over to Facebook where you can join Scott Hunter and currently The Muscle on The Hangover. Plus, on Wednesdays, you can tune in to Twitch where Brad Myers and The Muscle present Muscle Twitch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. This week, the Scumbags of Wrestling spotlight is being shone on Scotty O'Shea. From Hamilton, Ontario, weighing 209 pounds and standing at 5'9", he debuted in 2003. He's one of the Smash Wrestling originals and ended up being voted... The Feud of the Year with Brent Banks in 2014. He's currently in a feud with Kevin Blackwood. As many saw this past week during the Northern Tournament, Blackwood was pulled from the tournament in favor of O'Shea taking his spot. Blackwood didn't take too kindly to it and finally had enough of O'Shea holding his secret over his head. Blackwood appears to be ready to stand on his own two feet and face off against Scotty O'Shea. With the secret being revealed, it doesn't appear that Scotty has any advantage or control over Kevin Blackwood anymore. One can only hope that they will uh, meet down the line at Super Showdown 6, August 26th at the Phoenix in Toronto. On a personal note, We'd like to send a condolence out to Scotty and his family as his grandmother passed away this past week. May she rest in peace. That was your Scumbag Spotlight for this week featuring Scotty O'Shea. Speaking of Super Showdown 6 from Smash Wrestling, Alan Taylor revealed this week some of the participants who will be coming to the Phoenix Concert Hall on including Brody King, Joey Janela, Jeff Cobb, and Tessa Blanchard. They still have to announce how they're going to determine who will fill the vacant Smash Wrestling Championship and how the winner of the Northern Tournament, Tyson Dukes, will be factored into this, as he's supposed to be getting a title shot. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. If you're looking to get into the wrestling business, check out the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. 
This school is located right here in London, Ontario, Canada. Learn from one of Canada's best wrestlers around. It's located at 309 Exeter Road, and it's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 6 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. The Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory, teaching the new generation of hopefuls into superstars. Coming this October 26th to the 28th at the Western Fair Agriplex, it's the 5th Annual London Comic Con. Already announced to appear from Star Trek The Next Generation, Deanna Troy, Marina Sirtis. From Puffy the Vampire Slayer, Spike, James Marsters. The Yellow Power Ranger, Serena Vincent. Ted Raimi from Ash vs. Evil Dead and Xena Warrior Princess. Star Wars bounty hunter himself, Boba Fett, Daniel Logan will make an appearance. And former UFC champion and WWE Intercontinental Hardcore and Tag Team Champion, Ken Shamrock. Plus many more names to be announced in the coming weeks. It's a three-day celebration of art, comics, pop culture, with celebrity guests, vendors, and much more. Don't miss Southwestern Ontario's largest fan event. Tickets are on sale now. For more information, go to londoncomiccon.ca. I'm proud to say that WWE will be making history in Australia, presenting Super Showdown. On Saturday, October the 6th, the first ever live WWE broadcast from Melbourne at the iconic Melbourne Cricket Ground. Super Showdown will feature John Cena, Ronda Rousey, and practically every superstar from Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live, along with some of the greatest legends in sports entertainment, including Shawn Michaels, Big Show, and Kurt Angle. By the way, The Undertaker and Triple H will compete against each other for the very last time, ending an iconic era in WWE. Promoter Paul Daney and I invite the entire WWE universe in Australia and around the world to witness the biggest WWE live event in Australian history, WWE Super Showdown, live from the MCG in Melbourne on Saturday, October the 6th. And now on to some WWE news. Rey Mysterio will be the bonus playable character for the pre-order sales of WWE 2K19. Kane took some time off from his Merrick campaign in Knox County to team up with Daniel Bryan, and they will face the Bludgeon Brothers at Extreme Rules. Enzo Amore appeared on the Steve Austin podcast and told everything that happened with the day of Raw 25 and how he got suspended 
and ultimately fired the next day. You can tune into his podcast over at Podcast One. Jeff Hardy seems to be suffering some injuries, and that's why we've been seeing him in more tag team and six-man tag action rather than some one-on-one just to protect him from further injury. As shared on our Scumbags Wrestling Facebook page, this past week Kevin Owens got to attend a Shania Twain concert at the Bell Center in Montreal. He'd been tweeting Shania a lot, requesting her to play when, and he even brought a sign. She found him in the audience and had her escorted back up on stage where the two of them talked about the tweets and everything going on. She still denied him the song when until he beats Braun Strowman. It's a really good video, so I'd recommend anybody checking it out. Shinsuke Nakamura ended up missing SmackDown taping due to a dog bite, of all things. The police and canine unit were going through the arena searching for anything dangerous, and somehow Shinsuke and the dog met up with each other and got bit. He wasn't even able to participate in the match in Tokyo this past week as well, as he appeared on crutches. PW Insider reported that Triple H made the call for 205 Cruiserweights not to appear on Raw and to have them only appear on their own show on the network to make them special and not overexposed. Does this change your view of these stars when they don't appear on Raw? And do you still watch 205 Live? Hit me up and let me know what your thoughts are on 205 Live. WD announced the huge TV deals that were rumored to be happening in 2019 as being actual reality. SmackDown will move to Fox Network and go back to Friday nights. This will start on October 4th, 2019, and the rumor also with the deal includes having Saturday Night's Main Event make a comeback and a broadcast deal for NXT. Raw will stay on the USA Network on Monday nights. Both deals are for five years and will earn WWE over $2 billion. Will this force WWE to put more quality into uh, these shows as they're getting paid for content? And if so, how will this affect the presentation we see on the network? Will pay-per-views become as important anymore, or will everything be more focused on the TV deals that they have? Maybe it'll uh, take advantage of the whole company in general, and we'll get amazing wrestling back. Questions have now arose over the status of Brock Lesnar's current WWE contract. Most believe it was going to run out around SummerSlam time, and he could have one to two more dates available leading up to there. However, WD seemed to be having trouble booking his next match and dates. Two weeks ago on Raw, it was announced that there was going to be a multi-man uh, match for the number one contendership at Extreme Rules. Already announced for that match had been Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley. Unfortunately, this past week on Raw, Kurt Angle announced that that match has now been scrapped, as they cannot seem to come to 
good terms with Brock Lesnar. Paul Heyman had even stated that he did not feel confident in WWE being able to come up with the next opponent for his client, Brock Lesnar. Is this just story or is it a real life problem? Has Brock Lesnar become difficult to work with or are they trying to make more intrigue into when he does uh, come back and make it seem special, even though at the same time people realize that he's leaving and hopefully not uh, do what they did at WrestleMania 20. Whether it's storyline or reality, what would you do with Brock and the Universal Championship? This week there were also tryouts at the Performance Center, and two names of note are former TNA Impact uh, champions, one being Robbie E., and the other being also a tough enough contestant, Laurel Van Ness, also known as Chelsea Green. Could these two be potentially coming to WWE and being a part of the NXT roster? Only time will tell, but they're right there right now at the Performance Center. As fans would realize, Chelsea Green also is the real-life girlfriend of Zack Ryder. Robbie E. would be a perfect tag team partner also for Zack Ryder if he were to be able to brought in. This past Monday and Tuesday, the WWE Network was busy during the afternoons showing the UK tournament. Matches that stood out on these broadcasts included the Undisputed Era facing off with British Strong Style on Night 1. Night 2, Mustache Mountain won the tag team titles from the Undisputed Era. There'll be a rematch on an upcoming episode of NXT. 205 Live competitor Noam Dar also returned to action during the UK tournament presentation. Adam Cole retained his NXT North American title over Wolfgang. Cole looked uh, like a total babyface for this match, unlike when he's part of the Undisputed Era. The tournament winner was ultimately Zach Gibson, who then challenged Pete Dunne on night two for the UK title. He lost when Dunne hit the bitter end. The ending of night two in the entire tournament finished with the entire locker room and Triple H going to the ring. Triple H raised uh, Pete Dunne's hand and then stated, We are NXT. There will now be a full NXT UK division with their own roster and show on the network coming very soon. Prior to the shows being recorded, it was announced that there's plans to be an NXT division in the UK and throughout other locations around the world with a global localization there could potentially be branches in South America, Asia, and the Orient, not to mention the already established North America version and the new United Kingdom version. These would ultimately be feeder systems for the main roster, but hopefully with the same integrity that Triple H has put in with the North American version and what we just witnessed with the UK tournament. Is this a good thing for wrestling as a whole? Would you like to eventually see NXT Supercard once a year with all the branches coming together? 
could be an interesting uh, prospect to see all those talents from around the world in one location. And finally, as seen on SmackDown this past week, the ladies from GLOW appeared on the show in the way of advertising Season 2 being released on Netflix. There will be a few new characters being added, and in general, will you be watching? This has been your WWE Report. Hey, you're listening to the Scumbags Podcast. It's your boy Aiden Prince. And now for a new segment that will hopefully become a monthly segment. We'll look back in time at some of the most significant goings-on in the month. June was full of a lot of action as our page was loaded with special events that happened in history. Sit back and enjoy and share with us your memories as we look back in history. ago this month, news broke about the tragic weekend involving Chris Benoit and his family with a tragic murder-suicide. 
On June 25th, police entered Chris Benoit's home in Fayetteville, Georgia, where WD requested a welfare check after Benoit missed the weekend's events without notice, leading to concerns. The officers discovered the bodies of Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their seven-year-old son Daniel at around 2.30 p.m. Upon investigating, no additional suspects were sought by authorities. It was determined that Benoit had committed the murders himself. Over a three-day period, Benoit had killed his wife and son before committing suicide. His wife was bound uh, before the killing, and Benoit's son, Daniel, was drugged with Xanax and likely unconscious before Benoit strangled him to death. Benoit then committed suicide by hanging himself on his lat pull-down machine. It was quite the bizarre uh, goings-on at that time, as Chavo Guerrero reported that he received text messages involving Nancy being sick and Daniel being sick from Chris. Also, there was some strange messages about letting the dogs out, and who knows what else was actually going on. Um, there was also reports that Nancy's Wikipedia page had already been changed prior to the discovery of her uh, death that she had died on that weekend. Benoit was scheduled to appear at WWE Vengeance and face CM Punk for the vacated ECW Championship. Rumors had it that Benoit was going to capture the title that night and ultimately he did not show up. John Morrison ended up taking his spot and faced CM Punk for the title and came out as the new ECW champion. WD had cancelled the three-hour-long live Raw show on June 25th and replaced the broadcast uh, version with a three-hour tribute to his life and career, featuring his past matches, segments from the Hard Knocks, the Chris Benoit story from DVD, and comments from wrestlers and announcers. However, once the details of the murder-suicide became apparent, WD quickly and quietly began distancing itself from the wrestler by removing merchandise and no longer mentioning him. The June 26th episode of ECW began with Vince McMahon addressing the television audience about the circumstances and announcing that there would be no more mention of Benoit that night or other than that of his comments. There was no mention of Benoit at all at the following Friday on SmackDown. I'd found myself torn on that uh, sort of decision. While we should still recognize the great contribution that Benoit gave to the wrestling world, I can understand at the same time why some of the things were pulled because they wouldn't want to sensationalize what actually happens every time somebody does a murder or anything like that. If you see all the different uh, involvements with the school shootings, the person who commits the crime is now glorified in a way because they're getting so much detail and attention from the media. Vince McMahon and company took that away from everybody and tried to not sensationalize the tragedy that happened. In that regards, I do applaud it, and over time, it has we have seen that WWE is putting out the Benoit 
parts of the library. They're not glorifying him in any way, but matches that he had are still now available on the network. They even put up a disclaimer so that they can put it up there with the fact that their characters are separate from their TV lives and their personal lives. So hopefully people can appreciate the contributions in ring and on TV that the person did and not blur the lines with the personal life that happened to these superstars. After the double murder suicide, former WD wrestler Chris Nowinski had contacted Michael Benoit, the father of Chris Benoit, suggesting that after years of trauma to his son's brain may have led to his actions since the police deemed that it was not roid rage that caused this to happen. Tests were conducted on Benoit's brain by the neurosurgeon at West Virginia University, and the results showed that Benoit's brain was so severely damaged it resembled the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. He was reported to have an advanced form of dementia similar to the uh, brains of four retired NFL players who had suffered multiple concussions and sank into depression and harmed themselves or others. The report concluded that repeated concussions can lead to dementia, which can contribute to severe behavior problems. Benoit's father suggested that brain damage may have been what led to the cause of the crimes. He confirmed that his son was uh, quite quietly cremated, but was done with uh, the ashes is not publicly known. Chris has a second son from another marriage named David, who is almost a spitting image of himself. David has been looking to get into the wrestling business for the last couple of years and has been doing training at one point with Lance Storm and had been set to face Chavo Guerrero at one time. However, that training is still ongoing and he is yet to make any wrestling debut. It should be interesting if he ends up ever becoming an actual wrestler, if he'd ever be welcomed into the WWE or he'd have to wrestle elsewhere. On a recent edition of Raw, the WWE presented a special tribute show recognizing the career of Chris Benoit. However, the facts of this horrific tragedy involving Chris Benoit were not known at the time. Therefore, other than my comments, there will be no mention of Mr. Benoit's name in this program. On the contrary, this show is dedicated to everyone who has been affected by this terrible incident. This marks the first step of the healing process whereby WWE performers will now do what they do better than anyone else in the world entertain you. Seven years ago was the now infamous CM Punk pipe bomb. It was the historic uh, promo dubbed as CM Punk's pipe bomb for the WWE, which was one of the highlights of Punk's career at that time. It was a worksheet that took place on June 27th, 2011, and discuss topics such as WD's use of uh, punk as a performer, backstage politics, and who is the best in the business. 
as well as topics not normally discussed, such as outside performers at the time, like Brock Lesnar and Hulk Hogan, and other companies such as Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. The central message was that Punk wanted to change the company. He stated that his contract would end on July 17th, the night of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, in his hometown of Chicago. Punk went on to beat John Cena to win the WWE Championship and leave the company with it. It's quite interesting if you watch or read back what he says during this uh, rant, that a lot of it came out as what he said again in reality for his reasons for leaving WWE in 2014. It was well documented that CM Punk and Triple H didn't have the best of relationship, and during that pipe bomb, he ended up even calling Vince's son-in-law a doofus, which is probably how he truly feels in real life about Triple H. CM Punk was also very bitter about the fact that even though he was world champion for 434 days, he still never main evented WrestleMania. There was always other people put ahead of him. Even at other pay-per-views, CM Punk was a minor role as world champion compared to the part-time wrestlers that would come and go as they chose. Even as world champion, he never really was put on any promo cups or covers of magazines, unlike the golden child uh, children of WWE, such as uh, Dwayne Johnson and John Cena. What I did like about that segment also was the fact that he said he was going to win the title on July 17th from John Cena at Money in the Bank, and may or may not ever return, and even threatened to go take the title with him to New Japan or Ring of Honor. Personally, I think that would have been a genius plan back then compared to what's going on now, where Brock Lesnar has been able to come and go as he pleases. It could have been interesting to see what they would have done if they had allowed CM Punk to have the title on uh, July 17th, secretly sign him to stay with the company as they did do. However, they could have also kept him away from a WWE ring for an extended period of time where he would show up at various locations holding the WWE title but never coming back to WWE to defend it. The company would have known that he was actually still the real champion and working for them. However, on storyline-wise, it would have been interesting to see what they would have done to crown a new champion, and then they could have pulled off a Sean and Razor uh, WrestleMania 10 sort of scenario where CM Punk returns to the company saying that he signed a contract and he's the real champion, as opposed to the paper champion that was created in his absence. It definitely would have been a great storyline to build upon. Of course, we'll never know, and see, would never have seen that play out, as they announced that he did resign and stayed around after winning the WWE Championship from John Cena on July 17th in Chicago. Whether it was scripted or not, or just allowed knowing that he was going to say certain things to push buttons. It was a historic night 
and that promo has gone down in infamy in history. John Cena, while you you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am. And that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split, just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. I've grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that if they're just that, they're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years, I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien. I'm not on Jimmy Fallon. But the fact of the matter is I should be. And trust me, this isn't sour grapes. But the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year, and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. 
You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th. And who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's going to make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing nonsensical yes men like John Laurinaitis who's going to tell him everything that he wants to hear and I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead but the fact is it's it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon alright do we do this whole bully camp
As a matter of fact, tonight, I'm in the mood to show someone here, right here tonight, what ruthless aggression is all about. And he's the poster boy, he said it, ruthless aggression. In fact, I am issuing a challenge to anyone in that locker room that I've never wrestled before to come down here and face Kurt Angle. Come on, guys, there's got to be somebody back there that wants to seize the moment. It's a great opportunity. Now listen up. There are a lot of young guys back there, future superstars, that want to climb that ladder to success. Well, now's your chance to become a sensation just like me. Come on, somebody back there gonna wanna, wanna, wanna face Kurt Angle. Someone's gotta step up to the plate here. Angle's given an opportunity. Listen, don't be scared. I will take it easy on you. But there's gotta be somebody back there that 50 years from now, Sixteen years ago, John Cena made his debut against Kurt Angle on SmackDown. It was June 27, 2002, on an episode of SmackDown, when John Cena answered an open challenge from Kurt Angle. After declaring that he possessed ruthless aggression, which Vince McMahon had declared that he needed to find someone with ruthless aggression from within themselves, but Cena lost by a pinning combination to Angle. Cena was congratulated by Billy Kidman, Farouk, Rikishi, and even The Undertaker, who said that he had earned his respect by going out there and facing off with Kurt Angle. Cena had started his career in 1999 with Ultimate Pro 
Wrestling, UPW, and won the UPW uh, Championship the following year. He ended up earning a developmental contract with WWE in 2001 and debuted on the main roster in 2002. Originally going by the name Prototype, before going by his real name on SmackDown, he ended up just being a generic wrestler wearing the local colors of whatever city and town that they were in. If they had a special uh, professional team, he wore their colors. He later morphed into a rapper and ended up starting to become a heel. His rapper character lasted from 2002 to 2004, but he ended up uh, later transitioning into his current character, which he self-describes as a goody-two-shoes Superman. He's been labeled the greatest WWE star of all time from such industry veterans as John Layfield, Paul Heyman, and Kurt Angle. Since debuting that fateful night, he has won 25 championships, including 16 uh, reigns as world champion, 5 uh, reigns as U.S. champion, and 4 uh, times a tag team champion. He's won the money in the bank and is one of only a few people to have won and lost his uh, cash-in. Cena is also a two-time Royal Rumble winner, winning the event in 2008 and 2013. He's a three-time Superstar of the Year Slammy Award winner in 2009, 10, and 12. And Cena has the fourth highest uh, number of combined days as WWE Champion, right behind Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, and Hulk Hogan. Outside of the ring, Cena released a 2005 rap album called You Can't See Me, which debuted at number 15 in the U.S. Billboard Top 200 chart. Cena also began acting in 2006, with the Marine as his first role. Other movies that Cena now has to his credit since the debut of the Marine have been 12 Rounds, Legendary, The Reunion, Trainwreck, Sisters, Daddy's Home, The Wall, Daddy's Home 2, Ferdinand, and he's also in the upcoming Transformers prequel, Bumblebee the Movie. Cena currently holds the most Make-A-Wish uh, wish grantor number in history, with over 500 wishes being granted so far to date. While he stepped away from the ring at the moment to do some more filming, you can always catch him on E-Network's Total Bellas, where they document the activities from WrestleMania where he proposed to Nikki Bella, including their breakup and everything that's happened since. So, quite the uh, career for some kid from West Newberry who just showed up with ruthless aggression. You really took it to her. Hey, man, way to go out there and put it down, man. You're going to be a great superstar, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Way to go, man. Hell of a debut. Way to go. Just trying to give my all my strengths. Oh, well, you have a nice day, man. John Cena. John Cena.
Sebastian. The fourth prestigious King of the Ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin, an incredible victory. The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his pride. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Obviously, anything but humble, the fourth prestigious king of the ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin. 22 years ago, we heard the infamous words proclaiming Austin 316. On June 23, 1996, at, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the WWE held its annual pay-per-view, The King of the Ring. The King of the Ring title match was the main event and was single elimination tournament where the winner would capitalize on the momentum on his victory. Long story short, rising uh, star Stone Cold Steve Austin would face off against sentimental favorite the returning Jake the Snake Roberts, in the finals of the tournament. Earlier in the evening, Austin had beat Mark Merrow, but got a cut in his uh, lip and had to go to the hospital for stitches. Austin made it back in time for his match against uh, Jake, knowing that he was going to end up uh, getting the victory in the finals. On his way to the ring, he was uh, told that Jake had cut a promo in a religious uh, fashion. After the match, Steve Austin made his way to the uh, stage with the throne and the crown and everything, and Doc Hendricks, a.k.a. Michael P.S. Hayes. Austin would uh, proceed to uh, throw Roberts a Bible-thumping speech right back at him. The selling point of Austin's promo was him yelling at Jake, you sit there and thump your uh, Bible. You say your prayers, and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms. Talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says, I just whooped your ass. This totally surprised uh, Michael Hayes, as he didn't expect Austin to go that far, even though he had told him about the promo that Jake had cut before. 
And from then, it was nothing but Austin 316 signs and t-shirts filling arenas all over the place. If you weren't wearing an NWO shirt, you're wearing a uh, Austin 316 shirt. Austin's win and rise to stardom proved to be an untelegraphed stroke of luck. Triple H was originally supposed to win the King of the Ring 1996, but was punished for the infamous curtain call incident that happened in MSG the year prior. Austin 316 ultimately became one of the most popular catchphrases in wrestling history, and subsequently the slogan became one of the best-selling t-shirts in WWE merchandise history. It's also credited as the iconic moment that WWF became the Attitude Era. For myself, that was actually the first t-shirt from WWE that I ever bought was an Austin 316 shirt. And I wore it proudly almost every day uh, for a while when I first got it in 1997 at the Skydome. While Eric Bischoff didn't have any use for a guy who just wore black trunks and black boots, WD certainly found a way of using that same image and igniting what became the Attitude Era and beating WCW ultimately in the end of the Monday Night Wars. Twenty years ago was the infamous King of the Ring. It happened on June 28, 1998 from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. While the crown was given to Ken Shamrock and Kane defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in a first blood match for the WWF Championship, what stands out most 
is the infamous Undertaker versus Mankind Hell in a Cell match. It was only the second Hell in a Cell match in history, as the previous one happened at Bad Blood with Shawn Michaels defeating The Undertaker, and it was the debut of Kane. The match got set up on June 1st edition of Raw's War, when Foley reverted back to his Mankind character. He began wearing an untucked uh, shirt and loose necktie, and started the feud with Undertaker. Mankind then reunited with Paul Bearer, the father and manager of Kane. The new alliance challenged Undertaker and Steve Austin to the second Hell in a Cell match on the June 15th episode of Raw. That bout ended in a no contest with Taker attacking Paul Bearer in a locked cell while Austin assaulted Kane on top of the structure. This set up the double main event for the King of the Ring. Austin would face Kane for the title in a first blood match, while Undertaker and Mankind would be booked in a one-on-one match inside Hell in a Cell. According to Foley's book, he and Terry Funk had been discussing the previous year's Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood that featured Undertaker backdropping and body slamming uh, Shawn Michaels into the chain link ceiling of the cage. Foley and Funk were brainstorming ideas about how to top that when Funk laughingly said, maybe you should let him throw you off the top of the cage. Foley shot back with, yeah, then I could climb back up and he would throw me off again. While they were having a good time and thinking completely ludicrous ideas of what to do inside and outside and on top of the cage, Foley got serious for a moment and quietly said to Terry, I think I can do it. When presented with the idea of throwing Foley out the top of the cage, Undertaker was a little more hesitant, even going as far as asking Foley, Mick, do you want to die? Ultimately, Taker reluctantly agreed to perform the spot. Fittingly for Foley, the King of the Ring was scheduled to take place at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. Foley himself trained to become a professional wrestler, at Dominic DiNucci's wrestling school in nearby Freedom, Pennsylvania, only 25 miles from Pittsburgh, bringing his career full circle. As for the match itself, Foley came up first, and uh, once he reached the cell, he threw a chair on top of the structure and began to climb to the top. Undertaker then made his way to the ring and saw Foley on top of the cell and also climbed to the top. Both wrestlers then began to fight on the roof of the cell. The first bump Foley would take came as both wrestlers were brawling on top of the cell and Taker threw uh, Mankind from the top of the cage from a height of about 16-ish type feet, if including the angle of the fall, could range about 22 feet, and sent him crashing through the Spanish announce table, which triggered announcer Jim Ross to famously shout, Good God Almighty! Good God Almighty, that killed him. As God is my witness, he's broken in half. Foley remained motionless underneath the debris while Undertaker remained on top of the cell staring down. Terry Funk was one of the first people on the scene, followed by WD resident doctors and various others, including a concerned-looking basic man. Foley was placed on a stretcher and began to be wheeled out of the arena. Moments later, 
There was a commotion on the entrance ramp as Foley got up from the stretcher and proceeded to make his way back to the cage, climbing to the top of the cell, with Undertaker doing likewise. This time they both climbed the cage surprisingly quickly, despite Foley have suffering a dislocated shoulder due to the fall and Undertaker wrestling that night with a broken foot. With both men back on the top of the cage, the cell match resumed. Earlier, as both were walking on the chain-link mesh uh, which comprised uh, the cell ceiling, the metal fasteners were snapping off, causing the roof to snag and partially give way under their combined weight. According to Terry Funk, the uh, prop guys had uh, purposely designed it that way, except it was never meant to give away completely. In the second huge bump of the night, Undertaker chokeslammed mankind atop the chain-link mesh, causing the panel to give away completely, resulting in Foley falling through and hitting the ring canvas hard below. In response, Jim Ross announced, Good God, good God, will somebody stop the damn match? Enough is enough. Along with color commentator Jerry Lawler adding, That's it, he's dead. What wasn't noticed as he was going through the roof was that the steel chair that had been thrown up earlier also fell through that hole with Foley and hit him right square in the face. It ended up dislodging one of his front teeth and puncturing it through a space in his lip just above below his nose. The cage giving away completely was a surprise to both Foley and The Undertaker. The Undertaker later said that he thought Foley was dead following the second fall, yet he was able to stay in character. Foley was genuinely knocked unconscious for a few moments from the impact, but was able to come around. Terry Funk wrote in his autobiography, Watching uh, from the back, I thought he was dead. I ran out uh, there and looked down at him, still lying in the ring where he had landed. His eyes weren't uh, rolled back in his head, but they looked uh, totally gla glazed over, like a dead uh, fish's eyes. Foley later said that the only reason he survived the fall was because he did not take the chokeslam properly. In his memoir, Have a Nice Day, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks, Foley called it both the best and worst chokeslam he ever took, saying that despite its looks, he would have uh, likely died had he landed properly. He also cited uh, the fact that the ring into which he had landed had a harder surface uh, than that of modern rings, which stopped his momentum once he landed. Foley would later explain that the roof of the cell was supposed to uh, sag significantly so that Undertaker could kick him through, allowing him to dangle uh, by his feet and eventually fall in a rotation to land on his front. Sometime after uh, getting up and being attended to again by the uh, medical personnel, TV cameras showed a lingering shot of Foley smiling through his uh, profusely bleeding mouth and lip, with a loose tooth hanging underneath his nose, the tooth having been knocked out due to being stuck uh, struck by a chair which had fallen through the cage and landed on his face, dislocating his jaw. Foley also wrote in his book that he didn't recall much happening in the match, 
after he fell through the roof. He does remember seeing Terry Funk's shoes lying there in the middle of the ring, not knowing exactly what happened. While medical personnel were checking on Foley, Undertaker had made his way carefully from the roof back into the ring, landing on his uh, broken foot, but Terry Funk got in his face and created a distraction and have had Mark Calloway, Undertaker, chokeslam him at the t- time to create more time for Mick Foley. Jim Ross took advantage of that lingering shot of Foley's bloody mouth. As Foley was uh, checking the hole and everything, it appeared as though he was smiling, and Jim Ross made note that he seems to be enjoying the pain. The match continued for a while longer, ending with Foley being chokeslammed by The Undertaker into a pile of thumbtacks, which Foley himself had strewn into the canvas, and The Undertaker executing the tombstone piledriver to end the match and the feud as planned. Both wrestlers received a standing ovation for the match. Foley wrote in his book that he wasn't sure if he even used the thumbtacks and had asked people if they got used or not as planned. This was being asked at the same time as they were plucking the thumbtacks from his body. Miraculously enough, both men ended up making their way back to the ring during the world title match with Kane Steve Austin and interfered, allowing Kane to get the victory and the title. Folius said that although this match grew in legend, the reality was that his career remained somewhat sluggish for some time afterwards until Foley further developed the Mankind character and fans began to catch on. In his autobiography, Foley wrote that he could not remember much of what happened and he had to watch a tape of the match to write about it. The match was uh, voted Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Match of the Year in 1998. Although many fans regard the match as a classic, it has generated controversy as well. Critics charged that the falls in the match were so extreme that uh, they set the bar for further bumps so high that the inevitable attempt to equal or surpass them would be very dangerous for any wrestler involved. While WWE continues to have Hell and Saw matches and even now has an annual pay-per-view featuring the match, the match itself has been toned down somewhat in the wake of WWE's moving uh, towards more family-friendly programming since 2008. Foley himself acknowledged in 2014 that while being interviewed about Monday Night Wars uh, that the match taking place today, WWE would have immediately stopped the match after the first fall off the cage, and rightfully so. Foley said uh, in his first book that his wife cried during a post-match uh, phone conversation between the two of them, and this made Foley strongly consider retiring from wrestling, something that Foley did eventually do on a full-time basis in 2000. After the match, Vince McMahon said to Foley, You have no idea how much I appreciate what you've done for this company, but I never want to see anything like that again. Both participants have said that the original Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Sean at Bad Blood was superior to this match. Just recently, Mick Foley had been on tour doing his one-man show in celebration of the 
year anniversary of this historic event. There's talk that one of those performances will be presented on the WD Network. So stay tuned for that to be presented at a later date. originally very surprised. I didn't honestly think that my position at the time merited such a big match. And it turned out to be, you know, not only the biggest match of my career, but the only match that people seem to remember me by. Just in that chair on top of the cage. What is he doing? Mick's one of those guys that likes to see what he can do and what he can't do and what he can get away with. Mick's that kind of guy. He's first. Mr. McMahon knew that I wanted to go up on the top of the cell and wanted to be sure that I was comfortable with the idea of being up there. I told a little bit of a white lie that I had no problem with it. The truth is, when I did reach the top, my initial feeling, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm ruining people's image of me, but uh, it was... You've got to be kidding me. All the things he loves, I think he misses his mind the most. But oh, here we go. The pain that these two men are preparing to endure is inhuman. How they will put their bodies on the line here. Oh, and the Undertaker says, he's doing it. You want me up there? You want to come up there and fight? I'm going to come up and whip your butt. Oh, my God. They're standing on top of that cage. No, wouldn't it be cool if, like, one of them fell off of it? And that's ah, not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, there he goes, Mick. It was almost like in slow motion, you know? And he starts to kind of go over you like, no way. Now he's going to catch himself. Oh, my God, he's falling. He's falling. <laughs> Jim Ross. Oh my God, he's broken in half. Mankind was crazy, and I don't know how he's still alive to this day. We need doctors out here. If somebody can get off their butt in the back and get some people out here. People ask the question, did you know it was coming? Absolutely not. I'm thinking that they're just going to get close to the edge and scare the heck out of us. And then when Foley's big 300-pound body starts going through the air, it was frightening. Watching him come right into the table, you know, three feet away from us, I really thought that he was dead. Certainly, there was no way that I could be thrown off that structure and survive, and yet I, I was, and I did. Once again. He had proved his passion for sports entertainment at the expense of his body. It was spectacular and amazing and incredible, and you'd never seen anything like it. And then a lot of guys would be like, okay, I'm done now. Yet, ever the showman, Mick Foley was down, but not out. Oh my God, this is the toughest man alive. Are you kidding me? He wants to go back. He's insane. 
He's going to finish this match, though. That's Mick Foley. That feeling of electricity when people realize this thing wasn't over. This is absolutely amazing. It's a high that I can't compare to anything else I've done in my career. My biggest mistake was thinking when I went through that table that the worst of my night was over. Anybody realized that that would not be the case. Wow, you gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding! I think even Undertaker was wow, like what? just see him fall and you're just kind of falling the whole time and he's kind of contorted the other fall didn't kill him this one's definitely gonna kill today wisely so they didn't stop it you know at that time we were in uncharted territory and everybody was pushing each other to try to get to monitors and Looking through the curtain and going, is he moving? He may have internal, he's got to have internal, got to have internal injuries right here. I'd seen stars a lot of times. That was the only time I was ever knocked completely unconscious. There was a chair up there uh, that I'd used on The Undertaker earlier in the match that followed me down, hitting me in the face. He knocked out my teeth. Not these two. Those two were already gone a long time ago. How is he still standing up? I don't have a damn clue. Jerry Lawler said nobody could get up after that, but he's doing it. But I could barely stand. It wasn't until I was sitting in that corner that the cobweb started to clear, and that's where the world saw that there was a tooth stuck in my nose. Oh, my. And he's smiling. He is smiling. That shot will live forever. Forever. He's bleeding out of both ears. He's got a tooth up through his nose. And I'm going, Mick, are you all right? He goes, keep going. I couldn't believe it. He goes, get the tax. I said, get the tax. Get an ambulance. Are you crazy? evening in Pittsburgh. I will never forget what we just witnessed right there. Even the competition in WCW had to recognize 
that the bar had been raised to seemingly insurmountable heights. Mick Foley off the top of the cage. I said, that's it, boys. The run is over. How are you going to top that? I watched it a thousand times, and it literally changed the business. That was as spectacular as it got. Look at mankind, it's almost as if he doesn't want to kill a kitty. A lead on a stretcher. A lot of people in WCW couldn't do that stuff. So I was like, well, you ain't beating that one. Going above and beyond the call of duty. Mick Foley had cemented his legacy in sports entertainment history. Hey guys, as I was just uh, getting ready to put the finishing touches on this episode, I received a message on Facebook saying that on September 7th, the Mick Foley 20 Years of Hell one-man show is coming to London Music Hall on Friday, September 7th. That's right, as he celebrates the 20-year anniversary of the infamous Hell in a Cell versus The Undertaker, Foley is on the road telling stories and answering your questions. Whether it is Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, or just the lovable Mick Foley, he's a WWE Hardcore Superstar. Climb on board the 20 Years of Hell Tour for a thrill ride 20 years in the making, as Mick Foley, professional wrestling's hardcore legend, takes audiences along for an in-depth look at the most famous match of his Hall of Fame career, and perhaps the most talked about match in sports entertainment history, with his trademark blend of wit and wisdom, wildness and warmth that shot uh, two of his memoirs to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, Foley will use every tool in his arsenal, dozens of classic promos, hundreds of hours on stage, thousands of matches, and almost a million published words to weave a spellbinding web of stories. Designed to take fans along for a journey back to June 28, 1998, the night of the infamous Hell in a Cell match. It was a night that Foley somehow survived two spine-rattling falls off, a, off of and through the ominous cell structure, shrugged off a stint of unconsciousness, and finished the match with a front tooth lodged in his nose. Find humor in the most unlikely of places. 20 Years of Hell brings you laughs, but it is much more than just a comic one-man show. He will take, he'll make you feel like you are right there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, watching history write itself by equal turns, laugh-out-loud funny, suddenly surreal and heart-wrenchingly real. 20 Years of Hell is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to hear wrestling's finest storyteller talk about the night he walked down that aisle as a wrestler and walked away a legend. Each show begins with fully reminiscing of wrestling in the town he is performing in and conclude with a candid 30 to 45 minute Q&A 
where all subjects are fair game. Tickets are on sale Tuesday, July 3rd at 10 a.m. VIP meet and greet and autograph uh, tickets are also available. This 8 p.m. licensed event, the London Music Hall. Don't you dare miss it. From the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast, I want to thank you and wish you all a happy Canada Day. We'll see you next week.